Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daruk people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Awa Kairangikitai, where I'm recording today. Hi, lovely. Hello. Can you believe it's only been a few days since we got to hang out in person? I know. And wasn't it just the most delightful day? It was such a good day. Like, I just rode that high all week, I think. Yay. I'm so glad. Even getting a leech was fun. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. That bit was gross. But the donuts were also good. They made up for the leech. Oh, my gosh. The donuts were so good. And I was eating, like, two for breakfast two for tea I just kept eating them all week so I'm feeling very happy that I had so many donuts and I'm glad you got to try yeah they some were amazing of our amazing donuts because I know that you have sixes and sevens yeah but we have LA donuts and I was like I have to get some for Jen so I'm glad you got to have one too they were nice and thick like they're so thick tall tall donuts yeah, she, <laughs> she doesn't mess around they're like serious yeah. donuts well that's definitely what sparked joy for me this week was just seeing you and seeing my friends in sydney and having a little sojourn because i literally cannot remember the last time i was in sydney i was trying to remember what year it was and i could not for the life of me remember um yeah 2013 nah it would have been before that i mean after that okay or, yeah, yeah. before my son was born, that was 2013. But we had a dinner when I yeah. was there for work. You're right. And it was at Fratelli's, but I don't know when that was, what year that was. That's right. It was so long ago, because what is time? What is time? Especially in these post... Well, I say post-COVID, it's not actually post-COVID, but in these COVID years, what is time? Maybe it's post-lockdown years. It's not actually post-pandemic, mm. it's just post-lockdown post-quarantine years yeah yeah we're now just all sick all the time hooray hooray well what sparked joy for you this week uh that 100 percent getting to hang out with you <laughs> getting to show you around all my favorite places i was so excited to take you on a walk all the way down to the bottom of the stairs at Liscar gardens which are beautiful mm-hmm. and like beautiful it was exciting to show you where my kids go to school and just to like drive you around to all my little spots you could see that my very tiny corner of the world in a very big city that we both love. It was really lovely. Thank you for coming out and spending all day with me. It was great. I loved your lovely little corner of the world. It was beautiful. And it's nice to see where you go and do all your things as well. So, yay. Very small (laughs) corner of the world. I think like, oh gosh, I could go a little further, but... It's got everything you need, so... Yeah, I mean, I could show you the three Bunnings I frequent, but I don't think you're going to find much to look at there, so... (laughs) Sausage sizzle. That's all you need from a good Bunnings. Oh, for sure. Yeah, everyone loves it. Well, this week we're reading chapters 54 through 59 through the theme of communication. We love communication. Um, did you have a story for us this week? Yeah, so I was thinking about communication a lot because actually I my job is communication as well. Like that is the field that I work in. It's the degree that I have. And just there's a lot of applications for communication that are, and stories that I could tell both in like a professional sense and just in a personal sense as well. But I thought the thing that I th- that would be most useful, especially in terms of this text, is just the idea that you can use communication to enrich your relationships and mm. enforce your own boundaries. 
Yeah. So I think that's something that we all really struggle with, especially when you're younger, mm-hmm. to know what your boundaries are, but also to feel like you are able to exert them with the people that you love. Because so often you feel like you can't do that because if you truly cared about them, then you'd be willing to make sacrifices, that you would be willing to put your own comfort on hold for them, especially if you're a people pleaser like I was. I would say I'm less of that now. But I really came to a head for me a couple of years ago where I was just really struggling. I felt really at sea in a lot of my relationships and the idea that I was always giving and never getting anything in return. You know, my cup was never filling. I felt like my friends took advantage of me. I felt like I was never being... No one was ever asking how I was or what I wanted. I was always there for them and it was never returned. And I sort of worked through this in therapy and I realized that it's actually sort of unfair to put this on people when you never communicate what you need from someone else. You can't be mad at them if you never tell them what their issue is. And then it was, of course, it's one thing to know that, but it's an entirely different thing to start saying that as well. So I have a friend who I'm very close to and, you know, have been for years and she's a good friend of mine, but she has this tendency of like flaking out, not showing up, cancelling at the last minute. Sometimes when I'm already at a venue, she'll be like, oh, I forgot. (sighs) And I would usually just brush it off. But it got to a stage where I actually just said to her, hey, this is extremely hurtful. When you do this, it makes me feel like this. And I'm actually not going to organize any more events with you unless you prioritize me and my feelings in this as well. Because why do I always have to go out on a limb to do this thing? And she was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. Of course, that is completely valid. I will make more of an effort. And now she never commits to anything without knowing that she will 100% be there for me because she knows that it really impacts me when she cancels. So she'll never overcommit herself with me. Yeah, she still does good. it with other people. She's not changed the behavior, but she's changed <laughs> it for me. And we have a much more open communication style now. A lot of it is via text because she lives in a different city. But, you know, she'll tell me when... I am overstepping or I'm not supporting her in the way that she needs. I will tell her what I need. And our friendship is so much stronger because of it. I think if I hadn't had that conversation, if we hadn't got to a space where we felt safe enough to know that the other person wasn't going to, because that's the fear that the other person will leave when you express your needs. Mm. If we hadn't got to a stage where we had worked through that, I don't know if we'd still be friends or even if we'd be the kind of friends we are now, but because we are able to communicate our needs and we trust each other, You just have a much deeper friendship. And I've seen that in all my friendships, like just doing the scary thing, saying when you need something, saying when something is hurting you or isn't working for you, it really enriches your relationships. And it's a terrible thing because you have to trust that the other people are going to meet you where you are. And that's the scary thing. But the people who love you don't want to hurt you and they will do their best to be there for you. So I think... What I just want to remember is like you can't hold people accountable for something that they don't know they're being held accountable for. Like you need to be yeah. honest about what you need and what you expect. And that's how we develop richer um, relationships through communication. I love that. I love that communication can be so effective, but also it is really hard if you didn't grow up with it modeled or you don't really know where to start mm. or like we both are, like being vulnerable is the worst. It's so hard. Yeah. No, thank being you. Seen. Do not perceive us. Exactly. Stickers available in our shop. <laughs> Honestly, being perceived is literally the worst. That's how we feel, but it's not often the case. It's better to be out there and being in the world and being vulnerable, but like... <sighs> yeah, I think it's also just knowing that you can, who you can be vulnerable with, right? Like trusting the people that you are around to be vulnerable, to expose those feelings that make you uncomfortable mm. and maybe you don't know how to process mm-hmm, completely. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we see in this text is the fact that Baz and Simon love each other, but they don't actually trust each other to not walk away. 
Like this yeah. is the crux of the problem, right? They yeah. don't. That's why they don't communicate. They don't feel like they can say what they feel because they don't trust the other person mm-hmm. to not leave. Yeah, it's so frustrating. The communication that they're getting and the communication with the other parties is really strange as well in this whole section. Should I read our chapter summaries? Yes, please. Okay, so Lamb, King of the Vampires, helps Penny, Simon, <laughs> Baz, and Shep to get to an alleged now next lab in the desert, but it turns out to be a big fat trap with Agatha as bait. Lamb has agreed to give now next both Penny and Simon in order to keep Vegas free of the now next vampires. Shep is the first one to realize it's a quiet zone and tries to warn Penny, but he's too late. Simon, of course, goes into fight mode, trying to get to Agatha to rescue her, and there are gunshots, and it's terrible, and Baz is freaking out because he thinks Simon is dead. Oh my goodness. Penny and Agatha are stuck in a car with idiot vampires who have their mouths glued shut it seems hopeless until agatha spots burning lab the temporary city is close enough for her to use her fire spell so she does and saves herself and penny one of the now next vampires tries to bite ship but it really doesn't go very well for him ship king of communication let's just start with him (laughs) he's my number one main communicator he's like well you're gonna kill me anyway so i might as well play all the cards i have and all the cards he has is just talking if i tell you about my life maybe you'll tell me my mother yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) we always lead with his mom my parents are divorced what about you do you have parents (laughs) i actually just really love it i love that even brayden like he says the same that there's such a comedic line i don't know why it cracks me up so much when he's like, you're better than this, Josh, at the same time that as Brayden says it. And Brayden's like... <laughs> that is not a strength. Yeah. So funny. <laughs> <laughs> Why did we not glue his mouth shut? It's so funny. It is really funny. And it's nice to see that Penny isn't the only one annoyed by Shep. His charm is not universal. That was a good moment. I was like, okay, so Penny's not wrong to be annoyed. I think she's annoyed for a different reason, but yeah. Yeah. The thing I love about Shep is that he's actually always truthful. Like, he's honest about, you know, his intentions and what he wants to do. He's not playing a game. Even with the vampires, he's like, don't bite me. It's not going to go well. (laughs) He's like, he's telling them. He's being honest. It's just no one really listens to him. (laughs) And he had to be enthralled, literally enthralled, to not be able to communicate that it was a dead zone. Like, he knew what was going on and couldn't say anything, which I feel like that must have been the worst for him because he couldn't communicate. Yeah, and I think it's testament to the fact that the trio don't really know him well enough to think that he would have fallen asleep in that situation. Yeah, you know? like that doesn't seem like that doesn't seem like Shep. He's pretty on top of things. Mm. Um, I think that there's some interesting communication with Lamb. He's also truthful, but he's a lot cagier with it. So I think that he communicates just enough to get them to follow along. But he holds back the whole truth because he's trying to get Baz on side. But he tells on himself in his language. Like, he does communicate it, not clearly, but it's there. So on page 317, he says, Steady, lad, I need you to trust me to get you through this. And he keeps saying, Mm -hmm. I'm going to get you through this. And Baz is like, of course, we're following you. We're here. He's thinking of you like you, plural. But Lamb just means him. Baz Baz. just means him. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really interesting that you can use communication seemingly in one way but it actually is meaning another entire thing and i feel like baz almost gets to that point when he's saying you know oh he's king of the vampires does that mean me and even simon is like does that include baz now you know and to lamb it does like baz is someone he needs to protect he's one of them um because baz is not communicated the full extent of his situation to lamb either right and he never really does he he says he casts a spell, but he doesn't bring his wand out to do it. So it's Mm-mm. still a secret. He doesn't ever really let go of that. He casts it by holding it in his pocket. But yeah, he doesn't bring it, doesn't it out, work. does he? Yeah. <laughs> Poor Simon just struggles to communicate. Like that whole chapter where he's just ranting in his head cracks mm-hmm. me up so much. 
because he's yeah. just so confused and he's like vampires are evil except for bears and like i would never follow a vampire well except for bears and like yeah. there's that and the other thing and his you know lamb with his pretty blue suit and his pretty blue eyes i'm like oh simon i've been in that rage spiral that is like exactly what it's like for me just angry in a big circle and you can't do anything about it um mm. i thought that was a lot about expectation for simon as well though because he kept confusing the expectations that he has for all vampires and then having to like walk mm. it back for Baz like all vampires are bad but we you know obviously Baz is different we don't have the same set of expectations that we do for Baz like he's always walking it back for Baz yeah and even when he's like you never bargain with vampires the mage used to say and like okay yeah he did bargain with vampires but that's why he was bad yeah that was his whole downfall that's what downfell him I also really stood out to me how much non-verbal communication is attempted in this chapter You've got yeah. Lamb really making eye contact with Baz and you've got Baz and Penny just constantly trying to communicate via looks and just sending completely different messages. It's so it is, funny. So It is funny. I actually put that down as my thing. Like, Penny is not good as a communicator in a crisis unless they're all on the same page beforehand. Mm. She is not good. There's something about, like, pre-communication enabling actual communication. Yeah. That really stuck out to me. I think that... Penny and Agatha, once they were on the same page, could communicate without a word beautifully. Like, that was fantastic. Mm. The bit in the car where Agatha's like, I will nod out the window. You see? You feel the magic? I can't do it myself. Penny remembers how to push magic into her from the time that Simon pushed magic into her, so she does that. It's so beautiful. And I feel like that wouldn't work if they weren't able to communicate, but they had to get on the same page with it. So Agatha had to somehow convey to Penny, I can do a spark. But I can't get the magic going all by myself. But with the two of them together, that's how they did it. That's interesting because so I didn't read it like that. I didn't read it as a push. It was like because Penny had swallowed her stone, her, her jewel, her, whatever. I yeah, thought she was letting her. It was like she was using her like a wand. You know, yeah. she was letting her use the gem. I didn't think of her as Penny as like pushing her own magic into Agatha. Interesting. I don't know. I I think that you could be right or I could be right. But I just love yeah. that she needed Penny to be there and like that contact. That commun- mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. more communion than communication in a way. Like you had to have yeah. that thread between them. But on the other hand, when Penny is trying to say to Baz, like, SOS, Mayday, Mayday, and Baz is like, I'm just conveying that I'm right behind you. It'll be fine. Like, it's not going to be fine, Baz. And even Agatha's trying to communicate with them with her eyes, right? Like, she's shaking her head. No, she's like, you idiots. Mm-hmm. She's trying to say to like to Penny, this is a bad idea. And they just don't, don't pick it up. Yeah, she's really annoyed at them, which I love. And I actually did my in-depth on Agatha's whole, like, I never, they never listen to me. I'm so annoyed at this. Which is fair. Yeah. And I do think she gets dismissed a lot, like her objections and stuff. You know, Simon's like, oh, relax. I'll always rescue you, you know, that sort of thing. Which is an interesting expectation as well that he has about rescuing because mm. I love that in his little rant, he's just like, this isn't how you rescue someone. This isn't how it's done. Because he's like, yeah. I've done this so many times. I am an expert at rescuing people. And he's not wrong. But he's also had different tools for it each time. Yeah. Doesn't have his magic anymore, right? And, like, the fact that Penny also has really warped sense of herself. Like, she used to think they were invincible. And now she's like, oh, Simon's out of magic. And I'm actually not as powerful as I thought I was. You know, that self-doubt. And that's crept into her throughout this whole thing. Because she was powered by always being right. And the arrogance that comes from that. Yeah. But she recognizes it in this really beautiful moment. She goes, I wish I still had that heaping, helpful, helping, helpful heaping of ignorance to give me Mm. that boost like she recognizes she doesn't know what she thinks she knows and that's a huge movement forward for her i'm so proud of that moment for her where she's like well i don't know i i don't know i don't know what's gonna happen 
Yeah. But they still adapt and overcome by the beds. Yeah. Um, I also think it's interesting the way that Baz and Simon communicate and have communicated in the past through fighting, right? Like they have yeah. this argument and Baz says on page 298, you know, those fights used to feel good and men getting to look at Snow getting his attention mm-hmm. and then fighting doesn't feel good anymore. It feels like breaking something because you don't know how to fix it. And then Simon in the car is like poking him with his wing the whole time because it's an excuse yeah. to touch him, right? It's just... yeah. <laughs> God forbid they ever exchange actual feelings with one another. <laughs> I know. I, I loved that section where Baz was talking about how the fighting doesn't feel good. I've lived that, right? Where like you're getting to know someone and fighting like works things out and it's like clean at the end. But then I feel like sometimes when you're in a relationship for a long time or you know someone really well, you can just be really nasty and it doesn't actually solve anything. It just like soothes your own hurts for a minute. And that's mm. kind of where they're at now. They're just at cross purposes and they can't navigate it. And it's really hard when you're in a relationship and you're both trying to navigate through what you think is the best way, but you can't communicate that or let the other person go and do the thing. It just sucks. And I feel like they don't really listen to Simon. Like his objections are not unfounded and he has proven right, you know, at the end of this. But yeah, absolutely. There is there's a long history of Simon not being able to communicate accurately or like I don't know, clearly. And so they sort of just don't even try to listen to him. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's hard. It's hard with them. I don't know. It makes me sad. Time for them to hug and figure it out. Everybody needs hugs. I also just really love how this is a real section where they all realize how little they know in the world. Because I think when you're a teen, especially when you're like... Mm. 18, 19, you've left school, you do think you know everything. You have a certain sense of confidence. You finish school, whatever, whatever. And then you start going into the quote unquote real world and you start to realize, you know, usually a bit further on in your 20s, but you start to realize how much you actually still don't know. And I loved on page 302 when Simon says, you know, magicians have magic and they don't rule the world. You You can tell as he says it that he's not sure that it's true. I'm not sure it's true. What do we know of the world? I'm like, you're still so young. Yeah, you're all babies. I mean, Shep's sort of the oldest and kind of wisest of their group. And he's constantly shut out of their knowledge and communications as much as they can do that, you know. But he's just Mm. sort of shoved his way into it because he's so curious and engaged with it. Like, he recognizes that he's been enthralled. He's not like, what? Huh? He's like, I was in a thrall. This is a problem. Yeah. (laughs) Like... He, yeah. he recognizes these things and knows things about all of them, really. Except maybe, well, he knows things about vampires that Baz doesn't. No one's been able to communicate with Baz about what it means to be a vampire. And I think that's part of the attraction of Lamb, right? That's why Lamb is so successful. He believes Lamb is communi- is Like, he believes Lamb when he communicates that he's there looking out for him. Because he is looking out for him, but it's not the same as, like, his version of looking out for Baz is not what Baz actually wants. Yeah, and like... Lamb fundamentally, well, he doesn't see value in the others, right? The other three are nothing to him. Like, they're completely, they're just superfluous baggage. He's genuinely speciesist, I think. Yeah, because he's been alive for so long, right? And I love how him and Brayden have that screaming match in ships. Like, it's, I think they've had this argument before where they're like, (laughs) I am a vampire, I am real, this is how you do it. It's such a, you know, okay boomer moment. (laughs) And like, that's apocryphal. I just loved that as like a rejoinder. Like, dude... (laughs) Also, the way they dressed. I know, I know. It's so funny. Oh, just, I love it so much. It just feels like Downton Abbey meets, like, Entourage or something. Yeah, it does. And yeah, like, Josh is like, I am I can prove that we can do this. I'm like, don't, don't debase yourself, Josh. No, I'm going to do it. This isn't a strength. <laughs> I also really love Penny describing the journey there, being like, why would you live somewhere that seemed to be doing its best to tell you to go away? Page 303, which also applies to Australia. 
Yeah, so much of Australia is just like, nope, get out, get out, get out. We want, it's like the original inhabitants of the continent are okay because they figured out the balance and then the rest of us are just sunburned and struggling, let's be honest. Mm. On the topic of communication, I just thought another interesting tangent here was the lack of communication with the parental figures in Baz and Penny's life, right? Like, yes. Baz doesn't feel like he can communicate with his family, really. And he did try in the previous section when he tried to call Fiona, but she didn't pick up. But also, like, Penny says in this bit on page 305, I'm not sure why I thought we had to do this alone. Which is a great realisation. Like, why didn't you ask that? If you were really genuinely concerned about Agatha, but you weren't at that point. Agatha was just a convenient ruse. Yeah, it was an excuse to go and pester your boyfriend who is not your boyfriend and to kind of, and also to get simon out of his funk which i think is fair that's a worthwhile thing to do and also yeah i mean Matali has made it clear through past behavior that she doesn't really she's not gonna put her own family at risk to help simon right like she hasn't been exactly a welcoming or supportive figure to him yeah. or her or penny's friendship with him so in a way she made a rod for her own back that penny felt that like she couldn't talk to her about this issue yeah it's really tricky for parenting, I think, because when you have kids, you're so protective of them. I'm thinking of when your mom was like, can you just text me and let me know where you are and how you were so annoyed yeah. by that, you know? And, yeah. And yeah. Penny doesn't, she isn't able to read that this protectiveness of Natalie's isn't because she doesn't like Simon, it's because she's protective of Penny. Like, it's different. Not a restraint. And yeah, and he is dangerous. Like, Penny says, yeah. you know, Simon is dangerous because like, she even says, if he still had his man- magic, I'd be sheltering in place. Like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. So that the fact that everyone expects him to be chaotic and angry, like, that's the expected outcome. Yeah. Like on page 295, he says, chaos may well work in our favor. And Mm. she's like, well, that's Simon accounted for. And then as soon as they're out the door, Simon throws a lamp at it. On page 296, you know, if he still had his magic, I'd be sheltering in place. Mm -hmm. Then he's yelling, this isn't how we do it. This isn't how it's done. Like he's got a set of expectations that is not Mm. living up to what it should be. So he's angry. Like this is frustrating to him. And and then Baz says the most beautiful thing. And Simon, even a powered down Simon, is no one you'd want to meet in a dark alley or a bright hallway. (laughs) Which is so funny. Yeah, and I just love how Simon still is just a force to be reckoned with without his magic. You know, he's still such a ferocious fighter. Like, this ship describes him as like, oh, what was that? Oh, maybe it's not in this section. Goes down like a rabid bat. That's the one, yeah. A rabbit bat. And the vampire that's underneath him doesn't have eyes to see anymore. <laughs> Holy crap. He just doesn't stop, you know? And he doesn't, like, even question it. Like, they get to the top and he does... He do- and it's almost a detriment because they don't stop to communicate to plan or anything. He's just like, yeah. well, we're just doing it. Because he's so enraged. And I think he's just, like, really shocked by Bear's, like, trusting lamb, which he sees as a thing of, you know, Bear's, like, not trusting him or moving further away from him. Yeah, it's a betrayal. It's just a... Yeah, continued betrayal, right? Because he's already thinking that Baz is in love with Lamb because of one (laughs) misunderstood observation. Yeah, but everyone leaves Simon. And he really doesn't have a template for people staying. So it's not that it is obvious, it's that it seems obvious to him because he's making it fit the template he has in his mind. Yeah, it fits the script that he already sees his life as following, right? So These are the expectations that he has. Like His parents left him somewhere, the mage left him... Um, Mm -hmm. he's been abandoned by the world of mages what is Baz supposed to do? Stay? Well that's absurd. The only one who's ever stayed is Penny. And this is kind of where communication becomes so important because if you just like people will make behaviours fit the script that they think is in their head and we all interpret events according to our own 
beliefs, our own Filter, expectations. Yeah. yeah, everything is different. We all view reality slightly different based on that, right? Every situation, you talk to one person to another, which is why witness statements are so difficult because people just fundamentally yeah. view the world differently. And you need to communicate, especially when you're in a relationship, to make sure that actually, hey, are we on the same page about this? Did we perceive this event as going the same way because this is what I meant and I'm not sure that that's what you thought I meant and maybe I can yeah. be better at communicating, but whatever. Baz just assumes that Simon knows how he feels and Simon just assumes that Baz... And it's just... It's a recipe for disaster. Hence this book. I love this book so much and it is so hard and I still love it so much. It is hard because it's true, I think. That's the thing. Yeah. It reads so true. It reads so true to people who are going through intense trauma, people who are going through mental health issues, people who are going through just growing up like it's just so fundamentally true yes yeah and love and the miscommunications and the way that your heart feels like it's outside of your body on a string when you're in your first serious relationship it's awful but also so great it is awful and I do love that we have Shep, who's actually just a really nice little mood breaker. Like, he just actually just yes. alleviates some of the tension, because otherwise it would just be a misery, this book, right? But even when he's talking about how he's got a whistle and when he's blowing it, it's supposed to summon an eagle. But he doesn't know if the eagle's supposed to save him or eat him. And I'm like, oh, shit. And then <laughs> Penny is like, this normal really thinks his voice is the last thing I want to hear on this earth. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I love Penny so much. She's just taking none of it. She's like, go back or sideways. Just get out of here. Don't stay. I don't want you here. She's so funny. But it turns yeah. out he's very useful. So I'm glad that he ends up staying. Thank you, Shep. He he has a real responsibility. I think he expects that because he got them into this by urging them to trust Lamb. He has to help get them out, which is kind of beautiful. Like, it's a lot of honor. Yeah. In I think they also just expect him not to be useful because he's a normal, right? Like, so mm. what can he really do? But we also see how they don't expect the vampires to have guns, right? So Penny is, like, really shocked by that. Yeah. She says on page 314, I want to laugh. We wouldn't have been ready for those guns even if we still had our magic. There's this expectation that just because they're magical creatures, they will fight with magic. But actually, they've just come armed, which yeah. is quite sensible, really. Voldemort had had a gun. Things would have been very yeah. different. And I love that Agatha's... Is it Agatha or Penny? Whichever their perspective is, where the guy comes back and takes a selfie and she's like, yeah. it's Agatha. She's like, I bet he's feeling really tough and clever. I can't believe he grins at us like he's excited and we should be excited too. It's like so insulting. Like he's triumphant yeah. in this moment. He's like, yeah, we did it. Yeah. And they're like, we're your captives. Also, dude. why are you taking a selfie? You know, like stop taking selfies, you weirdo. I really actually love that section with Agatha because she has this real, what I like to call, come to Jesus moment. You know, on page 316, she yes. says, like, I honestly thought I could walk away from it all. Like, magic was a place. Like, magic was a person or a habit I could break. And it goes on and she goes, like, whether I like it or not, whether or not I claim it, whether or not I carry my wand, it's in me somehow, blood, water, and bone. Mm. Like, she's finally realized that it's not magic that she hates. It was the situation mm. that she found herself in, right? Like, magic yeah. itself intrinsically is not something that is out to get her or yeah. horrible. And it's just so lovely when she's like, I am magic. It's a real reckoning. And I think we all sort of go through that with our identity sometimes, where you try to push back against something that you are. Yeah. And then you're like, actually, this is not a flaw. It's just a fact, yeah. yeah. Good on you, Agatha, for coming to that. I love that, but I couldn't touch it this time. I was just like, it was too good. I 
didn't, didn't feel like I could say anything really profound about it but it's it's a really great moment where she's like no this is me and and meanwhile Penny on the other hand is like are they gonna kill us slowly or are we gonna be stuck in their little laboratory for years having the magic ground out of us like she's like already worst case scenarioing this and I'm like Penny such a dark place pull back oh so scary like she's already thinking of all of the ways that it can go wrong and then she also goes, which I took, I think was speaks to expectations as well in that section with Penny, where she's like, it must be coded into majors in a way that can be decoded, right? And she says, we should have been mm. the ones to figure it out. Mum would call it heresy trying to explain magic, but isn't that just science? I wish I could have this argument with her. This yeah. idea that why haven't majors tried to figure it out themselves? What makes them tick, right? Like what makes mm. them the way that they are? But they're so uncurious in a lot of way. Yeah, or maybe they're not allowed to be curious anymore. Maybe there was more... Uh, I don't know, forbearance, permissivity, maybe? Maybe it was more mm. allowed to be curious before, but in the like decades or centuries leading up to their current time, you know, they just, lots of things went out of practice, like the eating of fairies and the having of yeah. books and sort of going into a bit of a dark age where there's no, oh, I can't remember what it was, but there was no oracle. There's no oracle mm. at Watford anymore. And sort of all of these little losses have compounded to mean that while the world sort of was keeping up you know and advancing in this technological way the world of mages actually kind of got worse and more less technologically advanced and like kind of became more sequestered and that was their point of difference it wasn't like we're protecting ourselves it was like well we can't be anything like the other culture or we'll lose our culture mm, mm, mm. and like i mean is it baz that says on page 302 the world of mages is a regional clique wadford is an isolationist boarding school yeah his parents didn't even allow him to go on the internet and Baz would be so good at the internet. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. It's quite cultish in a lot of way. As Agatha said, it I just is. left one cult. I'm not looking to join another. Yeah, exactly. But Brayden didn't want... Like, this was the thing. Brayden wasn't listening. He didn't want her to say anything. He, he wouldn't let her say anything that would contradict what he wanted to hear. So there was no chance of communicating with him. Because he just wasn't open to it. Yeah, he's just out to get his own agenda and further his own storyline. Like, again, he's got a script in his head. He's mm. decided how this plays out. He's the worst. Although I do love him and Lamb having their little whinge together. So funny. I know. And I do like the idea of a treaty between them, because what is a treaty of not communication and expectations mm. being set, you know? Yeah. And that's more communication that they didn't have. Like, nobody had communicated to Shep so he could communicate to them that mages weren't allowed in Las Vegas. Because if he knew, he would have told them. Yeah. Like, for sure he would have told them. And I love how everyone is just confused about what Simon is. Like, you promised <laughs> us two mages. I'm like, it's fine. You didn't tell us one was feral. It's like, meh. <laughs> Not my fault that you ruined him. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> like, like, they literally shot him out of the sky. Like, it's a western or something. Terrible. Well, so that lamb calling Simon disfigured was quite mean. Yeah, but lamb is like that. He's like the old bigot. I do enjoy that he's like, well, King is an elected position. We've got, you know, Term terms, everything. Quite funny. Can we talk about Agatha's complicated relationship with the expectation of rescue? Yeah. Because I thought that was really interesting. Like, she was like, I knew it. I knew they'd come for me. They always do. They can't help themselves. Idiots. But then on page 320, I see the line of moving parts of dancing bodies. I see the figure at their head, a large wooden boy in flames. I see it. It's not a mirage. It's real. It's here. And my first thought is, it's coming for me. That's how accustomed mm. I am to being rescued. I see a parade of people coming over a hill, and I assume they're coming to save me. They're not. 
She's so used to being rescued that she's like, Burning Lad has come for me. It's kind of horrible, you know, that her whole life has been just being kidnapped and being put in these positions of peril. That she has to, like, that she's had enough time to develop this expectation. Yeah, it's her Pavlov moment, right? Like, the bell rings and she goes, oh, I'm here to be rescued? Okay. She doesn't want that. She doesn't like it. And she actively rescues herself. She remembers that she's got magic and her magic is what rescues her. Like, Penny helps, but it's her idea. It's great that she finally gets to have that moment. It makes me so happy that Penny is able to help in a meaningful way and that they're able to communicate wordlessly in that moment. Like, it's so lovely. And I love that she's apologizing in her mind at the same time. You know, she's saying, I'm sorry, Penny. I'm not getting us out of this. I was never a hero. I was never a very good friend. I did try to tell you. And it comes right Mm. back to the fact that nobody listens to Agatha. And she's not wrong. They just discount what she has to say because she's not the most important person in their minds or the room or whatever yeah and she's like not following the script right she's obviously mm. she's often saying like this is wrong we shouldn't be doing this this magic is this blah 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 you know whatever mm. i love that she talked about how she had pictured this festival so many times that she had sewn feathers onto her bikini right and she says mm. on page what is it 319 all that skin and fire snaking through the desert i imagined how it would feel to shine like that to be a small spangled part of something so magical without anyone using magic at all because it's interesting because she's been described as golden as shining Mm. as always being the you know the golden one at the school and stuff everyone looking at her for her to imagine herself as shining it's interesting how she's never felt like she could be her true self in the world of mages it yeah envisioning this festival as a sort of freedom and it makes me sad that ginger took that from her yeah i also loved it because it isn't about just her like she's always the most striking one in the room And she wanted to be part of something bigger, a meaningful part of something bigger. She wanted to be beautiful, yes, but like in concert with others. She wanted to be beautiful as part of a larger art installation or something more meaningful. Like she was really meaning making with this. And yeah, the opportunity that she didn't get is really, it's really striking and really sad. Mm. Agatha deserved to go to Burning Lad. Also Burning Lad, lol. I know. Just call like why change it? This is one where I'm like, why did you cha- just call it Burning Man? It's fine. We all know it's Burning Man. You could have just left it as Burning Man. Were they going to sue? Funny, I doubt they it. Change it to a boy as well, which is great. I'm like, why is it a boy? Just, I don't know. I don't see the sense in changing it to Burning Lad, but you know, whatever. Sacred text. Is it maybe trademarked and you can't like? maybe that seems the antithesis of what burning man's supposed to be like the idea that they would trademark burning man like (laughs) has it really fallen so far from what it was once i just always think of the malcolm in the middle episode about burning man if anyone wants to see a piece of true art watch that episode (laughs) it is so good i love malcolm in the middle it hasn't aged perfectly but it is still so funny well the best bit about this burning man episode is just the dad They've taken the camper van and he's setting up his camper van and trying to like make it all neat. And everyone thinks he's like doing an installation, art installation on like suburban American <laughs> dad. And he's like, get away from me. Like really just trying. And it's just, it's so good. It's stuck with me. Before Brian Can- Cranston was Walter White, he was Hal and he was exactly. great as Hal. So that's my homework this week, by the way. Go watch that. <laughs> <laughs> go watch Malcolm in the Middle. I love it. Um, co-signed. Yeah. Let's see, did I have anything else? Oh, I think I had some tangential. Yeah, go for it. Um, I love Penny's moment of reckoning where she says, 
um, post humdrum Penelope and Simon barely survived seven drunken mm-hmm. Renaissance Fair vampires, even with Baz's help. And without Shepard, we would have lost to a goat and a skunk in western Nebraska. We did lose to a dragon. We are out of our depth and nearly a hemisphere out of our comfort zone. And it occurs to me three hours north of Las Vegas that we are very probably going to lose. Like, this is her swan song moment where she's like, well, everything is terrible. <laughs> I can't do anything now. Yeah. It's all over. And I get that feeling where you just... I think she still is able to like rally and move forward because what else is there to do when they've done it so often that the expectations that they can still yeah yeah, they can still tread that ground but she's also kind of like well this isn't going to go well is it and before she'd always been like no it's fine we'll be fine we've survived every other time Mm. and then the fact that she goes I'd like to believe on page 309 she says I'd like to believe that our rightness is all that's required to get Agatha out of this mess that our goodness matters that our power is rooted in those things and thus unmatched but what has America done but prove us otherwise and that's really good too because it shows you that like no matter how right or righteous you are you can't just win on the strength of conviction you actually have to be able to like show up and do the work and do the work correctly Mm. and you might still not win that is rough do you have any tangential that's not a downer (laughs) actually just one we haven't discussed yet but it's page Mm. 297 and it's when Baz like Penny is watching Baz and she says Baz finishes packing I'm not sure why we aren't taking luggage on this rescue mission I just love that Baz just needs to do something like I have definitely been in that position where you're like I just need to do something so he's just packing his clothes he's like well gotta do something like even when he's fighting with Simon right like he's starting to fold a shirt yeah gotta keep his hands busy I completely understand that. I take my knitting everywhere, even if I don't use it. Even if I don't get it out, it goes in my bag with me. What if I need to do something with my hands? It's essential. Yeah. Essential. Um, Do you have an in-depth? I do. So my in-depth, you've actually mentioned already, but it's on page 321, and it's Agatha's section. So she's in the car, you know, she's communicating with Penny, but Penny's not picking it up yet. And she says that bit where she's like, I'm sorry, Penny, I'm not getting us out of this. I was never a hero. I was never a good friend. I did try to tell you. Mm. So I think it's relates to the theme of communication because she's not wrong. She did try and tell Penny that she wasn't really a good friend, that she did want yeah. to put, keep people at arm's length, that she wasn't really interested in fostering this relationship. But Penny just never listened, right? So this yeah. idea that sometimes we communicate and sometimes we're not heard but also expectations in a way because I think Agatha expects that if she just withdraws people will just give up because her parents are yeah. a little bit like that they never follow yeah. up with her on anything they're very like hands-offy parents right yeah so there's this idea that she could just like say a thing and it'll become truth just through force of will mm-hmm. and I think it's reminded me of my own life in a lot of ways because I think there are sometimes in life where friendships feel like they're naturally ending or there's something difficult in a friendship and you have to make Mm. the decision whether you are going to pursue this friendship or not and often that comes down to like is this serving me is this enriching my life what does this do but I think in a lot of ways friendships often are just pushing through the difficult things and chasing people when they don't want to be chased not in a way that you're like harassing them or whatever but it's sort of just sticking with them through the horrible bits yeah the bits where they are standoffish, the bits where they don't reply yeah. to your messages. You don't just cut people out on the first time that they don't meet you where you are, you know? Like sometimes yeah. you just, they're going through their own things and you sort of just have to grin and bear it for a bit to, so that they can get through their difficult thing. Yep. And <laughs> yep. it's horrible when you get used as a bit of a punching bag and sometimes you will just feel like, what is the point of this? But I think when you love someone and friendship love is just as valid as romantic love like that platonic love is just as valuable and just as important and when you love someone truly deeply you stick with them through the horrible things and I think that's what we see here it's like Penny actually went no this is my person she doesn't necessarily want me to be her person 
but I've made that choice, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm going to be there for yeah. her. And it pays off. Like they come to save Agatha. She doesn't want it, but they come to save her because Penny never gave up on her. And I think going forward, I just need to remember that we all have terrible times and go through difficult things. And sometimes you just have to, the temptation to cut people out of your life is really present, but we have to be there for longer. I think it's not a simple case of being like, this is one minor inconvenience and therefore I will give up on this person. You know, and protect yourself, know your boundaries, but still give people the benefit of the doubt. Because sure. those relationships, but the longer you have them, the more worth they have in a lot of ways. So, yeah. That's great. I love that. It is really hard. I think there's this real shift going on in the culture right now that we have to, like, protect ourselves and, like, get rid of toxic people. But everybody is toxic in some... Like, it's all about dosage, right? Yeah. Water is toxic if you inhale it, you know, but you need it to live. Yeah. So how much... How much of what people's behavior is is genuinely toxic or it's just something that needs to be communicated about yeah. and worked through? How much of it's willingness and how much of it's willfulness? And some of it you can grow out of or some people mm. don't know that their behavior is toxic, right? So communication and yeah. like it's not your per- it's not your job to ha- like make them better or to be their therapist or whatever, but sometimes they just need a push they might not know. I think there's a difference between being toxic and and the way that it's used and being abusive like obviously you should never entertain abusive behavior emotional physical whatever it is but i think there's this Mm. pressure to be perfect even in our friendships which means that we end up with very superficial relationships where no one is really willing to really talk about what they truly feel or what they truly think yeah because they don't want to be cut out of lives and then you end up with something that just feels a bit hollow so again i think it comes down to trust right you have to trust that the people that you love are gonna back you even when you sometimes might say something problematic and they might take they have the grace to correct you and help you in your journey because how else will we grow that's right we're all gremlins from time to time having people who can walk through us when we're being gremlins and help us to be kind on the other end and who are forgiving that's so that's such a generous and loving act and i feel like that is something i want to work on every day so i love that you called us to that thank you yeah what was your in-depth uh mine is also an agatha section Cute. Um, so I went to the bit on page 313 where she is just absolutely ropeable that these idiots have come to save her again and she's thinking it through <laughs> and she's just so mad so on page 313 she says surviving monsters doesn't make you monster proof escaping once doesn't enhance your odds of escaping again Penny always argues with me the past is the best predictor of the future Simon refuses to engage on any discussion of logic what did he say to me in seventh year ease up eggs I'll always save you I'm good at it and I get better every time he didn't listen they never listen so she's tried, she has tried communicating that they're not invincible, but this message just doesn't land because they refuse to listen. They have this expectation that they'll always be able to save her, which we talked about. And Simon even says to her in seventh year, like, I'll always save you. I'm good at it. And I get better every time, which is quite true, but it's also like not entirely certain. It doesn't like actually mm. say in the future that he will always be able to do it, but he thinks that. And, you know, Penny really fobs off with this pithy little maxim, but it doesn't really bear out. So she's trying to communicate and get them to adjust their expectations, but they won't listen. So she can't Mm -hmm. get them to do that, which is so frustrating. And this whole section really touched a nerve with me because I'm. <laughs> it, may, it reminded me of when we were trying to get a diagnosis for my daughter, who is neurodivergent. And I'm a neurodivergent parent with neurodivergent kids. And I'm not dumb. I can use Google. I can figure out symptoms. I can, like, go through the DSMV and look at myself and figure out what aligns. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. this is something that people talk down about but honestly knowing what to look for in a therapist is very important so I encourage you to do so if that is worth it for you or anybody but when 
I was doing this, you know, I had done a lot of research. I was trying to get my daughter diagnosed. We knew that there were a lot of things going on. And we had an absolutely useless child psychologist who took one look at me and she adjusted her expectations for what I was trying to get based on how I looked. So I'm a bigger person. I have bright colored hair. I was very nervous because I'm very worried about my child, of course, and I wasn't under treatment for my depression or anxiety at the time. So I was very awkward. And I think she just thought I was trying to like get a diagnosis so my kid would be easier or something. And she said, oh, your daughter will be fine, but she'll never write an English essay. And Mm. it was such a weird thing for her to say. We went to like three other professionals who were like, oh, yes, this child has autism spectrum disorder and ADHD. And you know what? She's great at English. So that person was obviously a complete idiot. (laughs) But because she had made these assumptions, she had adjusted her expectation of what she would find based on just my appearance, just on what she Mm. thought. And so I couldn't actually communicate with her. Like there was a breakdown in the communication because she just wouldn't receive it. And that's really frustrating. And it was maddening because I knew she was wrong. Like I knew that it was not right. I knew that we were not getting the right care for my daughter. And thankfully we were able to. I guess that, you know, when I think about this and I think about what happened in my own life, I'm thinking about how Penny is only now starting to realize how much she needs to adjust her perspective on Simon's abilities and her own and what it Mm. means to be a fighter in the world of mages in a post-humdrum world of mages. And Agatha is furious that this thing that she has known down to her bones is coming true. Like, her luck has run out and she always knew it would, but they wouldn't listen. And I think, you know, we may not survive every monster, this is true, but every time we navigate something, we do get better at it. Agatha is right to be angry at not being taken seriously, but Simon and Penny aren't exactly wrong either. They are good at getting lucky. Going forward, this reminds me that we need to keep adjusting. I want to keep appraising and keep an open mind. And what I expect could be changed as long as I'm willing to accept and facilitate better communication. Yeah, it's interesting because she's not wrong either. Like this idea that just because you were successful once doesn't mean you'll be successful again. Because this is, I read a really interesting article about this a couple of months ago now. And I won't be able to find it again, so I'll just paraphrase. But it was about how road safety campaigns don't work. Because in New Zealand, Mm. there's this goal to get to... Um, a rotel down to zero and they were saying rolling out ads all the time actually just isn't effective because fundamentally every time someone gets behind the wheel they go over the speed limit and nothing happens it makes it easier to do it again and again and again every time you survive it lowers the risk threshold Mm -hmm. in your mind and so it's easier to do it the next time like every time you don't get caught yeah it makes it easier to re-offend basically and this is just human psychology and this is what we see with penny and simon every time they survive the less serious they take the risk. Mm. Yeah, humans are bad at risk analysis, honestly. Like, we're just really bad at it. It's like what my husband does for a job. And he's like, you know, just naturally, we suck at this one thing so much. We have no... And the other thing is, is once we've survived something, or once we've been duped, we become that person. We evangelize for it. So almost everybody who responds to those emails, like they send money to the Nigerian prince or whatever, they're like, no, the money's coming through. Like, they will not Mm -hmm. accept that they have been defrauded. This is how we end up with NFT bros and cryptocurrency bros who never go away and keep talking about it because they're like, well, I have invested all my money into this, so it cannot possibly be a scam. Where are you now, guys? Where are you now? It's like when you're on a boat in the ocean and you see something really dark moving very far under the water beneath you. But like sometimes a Reddit subreddit will come across my dash. It'll be like, I invested all my money in crypto and my wife doesn't know. And uh, it just collapsed. What do I do? And I'm like, "Ah, run away. Run away. Yep. Yeesh. I would not want to be married to that guy. Oh, man. No. Horrible. Yikes. Yikes. (sighs) Well, who do you want to spotlight this week? 
I'm actually going to spotlight Agatha because I think it's Yay. a really lovely moment that she has in this horrible, horrible situation where she thinks mm. she's going to basically be used as a science experiment and or killed, where she just goes, actually, I need to make peace with the fact that I am magic. I make, need to make peace with this thing that I've run away from, that I've associated yeah. with my trauma. It's just, it's a beautiful section, really. And then she rescues herself. So, you know, she's going through it. She doesn't know what to do with her emotions or her relationships. She's a bit yeah. dysfunctional, but I think she's really coming into her own and I really love that for her that she's finding her way on her own but she's doing it yeah we love our one grumpy witch who doesn't want to be a witch very much (laughs) go Agatha who would you like to spotlight I'm gonna spotlight Penny because she's in it she's really distraught she's just kind of losing all of her hope but when she sees her friend trying to do something she pitches in and that is the most genuine expression of love that I can think my number one thing is how can I help that's like what I always want to be able to say and do and Penny is like literally the epitome of how can I help like Mm -hmm. whether it's pushing magic or her gems magic to Agatha she's right there next to her I mean it's not a great situation but they kill that guy and I am really glad they do (laughs) so so Penny is the epitome of like loving friendship right now so that's just where I'm, I'm just really proud of her Maybe we should also, I mean, that's beautiful, but I was just thinking maybe we should also spotlight poor Josh, who I think is just a victim of toxic masculinity and bro culture. R.I.P. Josh. R.I.P. Josh, you absolute moron. (laughs) He's the epitome of hold my beer, right? Like, I can do it. Just watch. It's like you dare someone, like, here, run into that wall on your motorcycle with no helmet. No, mate. Physics is not great. Let's, 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 let's. Exactly. Did you have homework this week? I do. So on your suggestion of a long time ago now, I started reading the Agatha Christie books. Ah. I've read a few Poirot. I think he's okay. I feel like everybody's annoyed with Poirot and I'm just like, stop it. He's just a fussy man. Let him live. (laughs) Um, So I switched to Miss Marple because I wanted to have like another character to follow. Mm Um, and I think they're really good. Like, I mean, it's very much like, oh, I know human nature and human nature is invariable. And I'm kind of like, mm, not true, but okay. Suspending disbelief. Um, but the second one I read was like 70% of the book. And I'm like, where is this old lady? She's supposed to turn up. And she turns up in like the act 3B. And I'm like, oh, here you are. <laughs> what? Where were you the whole mystery? It was just this guy, this plane crash guy figuring it all. Anyway, but it was lovely and I'm really enjoying it. So highly recommend. Thank you for that. They're very fun and like easy to read. Pause one second. Sorry. Okay. Hold that thought. Hello, kitty. Hi, baby. Well, are you coming in or not? (laughs) Sorry, she's making very distressed noises. And now she's in here and she's complaining about that. But no, you're in here now. You're not... Oh, God. All right, hang on. Cats, man. Get up, Go. Out. Anyway. Okay. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. So, Tully, continue the homework. I love that we had a cat interruption. Because mm. you also got to meet my cats this week, which is very exciting for me. They were very cute. Oh, the cutest. I, I love how much Cora loved you. She's been mad at me all week that you're not here. It's licking my head. I love that Gandalf let me fulfill my lifelong dream of carrying a cat like a baby. Oh, he Luna loves to won't be held like a baby. That's because <laughs> Luna hasn't learned what's good for her yet. <laughs> um, okay, so... More homework. I mm-hmm. read Solitaire by Alice Usman and I really enjoyed it. I want to give Tori a hug, even though I think she would absolutely hate that. But like in a mom way, you know, like I just want to be a mom. Mm-hmm. A lot of these characters need better mom. 
Um, and finally, my daughter and I have started watching Voyager together. I felt like she was old enough because I started when I was about her age. And it is really fun. Um, it holds up pretty well. Not like perfectly, perfectly, but it still feels very much like Star Trek. And I love how Captain Janeway just wants coffee. Hashtag relatable. <laughs> so how about you? You just had one, right? Or did you have more? Well, yeah, my homework from earlier was to watch Malcolm in the Middle. But actually, I just finished reading Vengeful, which is the second part of the... Ooh. duology that the first one was vicious which i recommended on this podcast as well yeah. by v schwab um second one's not as good it's a bit slow but it's really interesting like mm. philosophically interesting i find it quite intriguing and relevant to the section as well and the idea that people will dissect people they don't understand to try and understand their mystery the magic of what makes them because there's like one character in this book who is sort of obsessed with that and a bit problematic but yeah, it's interesting, and it ended very. Um, that is so messed up. <laughs> I know it is quite messed up. Like there's, a, there's not all the characters are grey. Like there's no good or mm. bad. Like the prote- both protagonists yeah. are very grey, I guess. Anyway, um, so yeah, read that. Also, I just started watching Shadow and Bone, one episode <gasps> in season two. Season two. How is our hot evil guy Bin Bonds? He is still a hot evil guy. Still didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> Hashtag justice for the Darkling. <laughs> No, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. He's very problematic. But I just love the crows so much. I just love them so much. I would just like, yeah, hashtag I love them, your honor. You know, it's just Jasper is just a delight. Inej is a girl boss. Nina is just sunshine and cinnamon. It's just wonderful. And Kaz, of course, you know I love my boy Kaz. He's in your category of underfed needing a sandwich, right? Yeah, my type. That is my type. In desperate need of a sandwich. And much more. Are you a teddy bear? Will you cuddle? Do you have big, strong hug arms? Yes. Thank you. We're friend. <laughs> <laughs> Love the big teddy bears. On that note, then, next week, we'll be reading chapters 60 through the prologue through the theme of failure and wrapping up the book. Can you believe? I can't. I can't believe we've made it through. Oh, gosh. This has been rough, but, like, so good. Yeah. A lot of sitting in my feelings on this one. So many feelings. I hate it, but it's so good that I hate it. <laughs> It's okay. We've got Blue Lily Lily Blue after this, so we can have other feelings, which are slightly more and less complicated, about a different set of people that we adore, who are also deeply flawed. And then we'll go back and read the last book in this, and then we will cry our faces off, and that'll Yay! be great. So, we love that. hooray for us. Thanks <laughs> for joining us on this tearful podcast where we cry about fictional characters all it's the time. It's our favorite <laughs> thing to do. It is so good. Anyway, thank you All so right. much, John. I'm so glad we got to hang out in person this week. Hooray! And I'm so glad Hooray. we got to hang out today virtually. It's always so good to see Yay. you. Yay! Always so good. Lovely, lovely. And I'll see you next week. All right. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen D and Jen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com. Check out our Instagram or maybe dash up a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 